Welcome to the Context Podcast, sponsored by Geist Interactive. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. A FileMaker developer is a coder, a data architect, a PM, business analyst, and even a designer. Making interfaces work and look good for users has gotten a lot of attention in our world recently, from meetup group topics to full DevCon sessions, trainings, and hands-on labs. Matt O'Dell, ecosystem designer at Capital One, but a big part of the FileMaker community, joins me today to talk about design. We talk about how design is more than just colors and making a layout look pretty, though that is part of the conversation. We talk about workflows, design patterns, and, quote, who's right in the design process. Matt has a lot of experience with both FileMaker and design, and he's got great insight into what we as FileMaker developers can think and learn about as we design efficient custom apps for our clients. This episode is brought to you by FM Perception, the only real-time developer intelligence tool out there. And now, let's talk with Matt. Hey, Matt O'Dell, welcome to the Context Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really good to have you here. I um, I was thinking about, like, I always try to think about the the relationships with the people that I have, the guests that I have. Um, I think we have, we've met a few times, obviously, but I recall actually working with you back when we were, uh, when FileMaker 14 or FileMaker 15 was coming out over at Saliant Consulting, I was I was helping edit the, uh, <laughs> the training series. Do you remember that? Then I, I apologize for, for being the person that was the, uh, yeah. one of the editors <laughs> on it. Yeah, that, that was 14. I think 14 was my last, was my last yeah. launch um, before, before leaving FileMaker. But yes, that was a, uh, that was a job I took I took very seriously, and I had very strong opinions about how yeah. the content should be put. And you know, not to mention that you know a lot of the I used to work at Saliant, so a lot of the people that were there uh, mm-hmm. were people that used to be my boss. And so I, I did enjoy a little bit at times, you know, trying to tell them what to do. So I'm telling my I'm telling the guy that taught me everything about FileMaker things that like he should write differently about FileMaker. Yeah, it was it was a fun position to be in. But uh, yeah, I apologize for for anything I might have. <laughs> said <laughs> that came off as negative but yeah that was a that was a fun time back in 2014 yeah i always had whim to fall back on and and cry to if 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 it became too much but no. <laughs> but speaking of that you you've had quite a career in filemaker and beyond so why don't you introduce yourself to the context podcast audience sure uh well so these days i'm, I'm a bit outside of the filemaker space uh as an ecosystem designer working at capital one um here in chicago um i'm from here in Chicago, uh, started my career at Saline Consulting uh, back in 2005, I believe. Um, my first job out of college, got really lucky, you know, working for a great company there. Um, somehow parlayed that into a systems engineering role at FileMaker, uh, working out of their New York office, um, where mm-hmm. I was the systems engineer for the Northeast and Canada. Um, so hello to all of our neighbors in the North, for those of you that I used to work with, um, did that for a few years in New York, uh, then moved over to California where I worked on their marketing team as a technical marketing manager. But I think, you know, in basically both of those roles, my job was just like, you're the person that knows FileMaker the most, and you can kind of actually talk to people so that they understand what you're saying instead of uh, so many developers that are out there. Um, so that was basically my, uh, my job for, for however many years that I worked at FileMaker, though, in different different roles. Then uh, 2015, I kind of uh, needed to do something different. 
Um, and so I went and worked at a startup called Udemy. That's an online training company. Um, but similarly, you know, was uh, was in this role of helping people build training courses that were very technically savvy on an online platform um, and figuring out what content we need and doing that kind of stuff, which was fun because, again, as, as you mentioned, uh, I used to do a lot of the training stuff um, for FileMaker and help out with that. I wasn't the only person, but was one of the one of the people that worked on that content and really enjoyed working on training. I have an education background. I love teaching and training, have done that my whole career. Uh, and so working at an education company, an ed tech startup was was fun. Um, but then I had a kid, uh, wanted to move closer to family, came back to Chicago, freelanced for a while, mostly working with iSolutions as a um, project manager and uh, UX designer. Um, and then somehow parlayed that into working at Capital One as an ecosystem designer, reuniting a little bit with uh, someone who uh, some of us right remember from the FileMaker space of Heather Winkle. Um, so oh, she's uh, yeah. she's now actually the top cheese <laughs> uh, des- oh. uh, head of design for Capital One with 500 people reporting up to her, and I'm just one of those lowly 500 people. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, a fun reuniting uh, moment. That there working again with her. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing these days. You know, I, I have to tell you a story. My first DevCon was 2012, uh, before I joined Saliant. And I remember Heather getting up on stage and she talked about, I distinctly remember it. And I actually remember it every single day that I use FileMaker. <laughs> but she talked about the the new functionality where when you go to create a new layout, you don't even have to it defaults to form view, right? Yeah. Or command command N on the Mac makes a new layout in a heartbeat. Cause she, she talked about, that's what we want to do. We want to create a new layout. We don't want to always go through that silly wizard. We just want a new layout, right? So I, she was the uh, she brought that to the product, I guess, and uh, I still remember her talking about. Yeah, that, so. there was there was a lot of great stuff she brought to the product back in the day, um, and uh, that was where I learned my love of design uh, was from her. I was you know up until that point was a developer. Um, and had, you know, projects and things that I worked on that were, you know, successful with some clients and not as successful with other clients. And then uh, we joined FileMaker right around the same time. I think she was a few months before me, maybe about six or seven months before me. Uh, but the first time that I was kind of in a room with her was one of our what we call SE trainings where, you know, you spend a week learning about all the new things that's coming in the new product so that you can be ready for it and you can, you know, train and teach all of your customers on it. And she was in the room just describing the stuff that they were working on. And I was just blown away and realized like, oh, that's what design is. <laughs> I've been missing that my whole career. I need to do that better. How do I do that better? Uh, and that was probably, you know, 2009 or something. <laughs> and so I've, uh, for the that's... past 10 years, been on a, on a quest to try to get better at that. And uh, I think I'm a little bit better than I was then, hopefully. <laughs> I actually noticed that because um, when you were working with FileMaker um, Inc. and you were you presented at DevCon quite a bit and you I looked up the history you presented a lot of technical sessions. You presented a lot of server sessions. There was at least a couple that I saw. And then you mentioned that you moved into working with design because, because of your interactions with Heather, right? That's 
So you've you've gone from the what is it the left brain to the right brain or right brain to the left brain? I always forget. I I, yeah, I don't know which one is which. I I, I say I, <laughs> I'm always on. Well, when I work with like some designers, I realize like oh no, I'm still very much a developer. <laughs> like my mind works very much like developers work. I've just been able to tap into the other side a little bit more frequently than I used to. Um, but that said, like I was, you know, I I, I was a I, well, I'm still a musician. I still play and stuff. So I always enjoyed kind of both sides of things. But yeah, when I, when I became an SC, there was always the joke of like, whoever's the new SC, that's the person that has to give the server talk at DEF CON. And, okay. uh, and they don't hire SEs that often. So <laughs> that meant I had to do it for a while uh, until I eventually was like, I think you, I, I think there was one year where we didn't have a new product coming out. Like there was two years between releases. I think it, would pro- it was probably between 11 and 12 or something like that. And I was like, hey, I don't want to talk about server this year. Is that okay? Because <laughs> there's not a new product and there's nothing in, you know, yeah, I could give the same talk again, but can I do something else? And they were like, yeah, I guess so. So I did a talk on like HTML5 or something. It was just like, I want to do a fun talk oh. on technology or whatever. It was something like that. And that, that finally got me out of the having to do the server talk every year. Uh, but then, yeah, then eventually parlayed into yeah doing some of the other design talks after that. Today's episode is brought to you by FM Perception. You're working hard and in the zone, writing scripts, defining schema, and building layouts. You stumble on a calculated field you didn't remember defining. Where is it used? Can you delete it? What did your past self intend to do with this field? Well, without breaking your momentum or thought stream, you can turn to FM Perception to tell exactly where that field is used in scripts, on layouts, or in a calculation somewhere. You can find out if it is safe to delete or whether it should be kept. FM Perception is the only real-time developer intelligence tool for FileMaker developers. FM Perception exposes every detail of your FileMaker database structure. You can find out where fields are used, where scripts are used. You can discover every place any script step or any function, including execute SQL, is used throughout your system. And you can easily see broken references. FM Perception also gives you insight into areas of your system that are a little bit more tricky to find and discover. For example, you can see areas of indirection, all the places you use global variables and those names, and even index indicators, those fields that are indexed intentionally or otherwise. FM Perception's power is in its speed. You don't need to stop and wait for an import to happen before you can get the answers to your FileMaker questions. Simply run an XML database design report and open. Download the 14-day trial of FM Perception and experience yourself real-time developer intelligence. So the last uh, couple sessions, couple DevCons, you've actually done strictly design sessions and you're as I as was listening to them you you talk about principles of design you talk about how to design in filemaker using the tools that we have in filemaker um, did you just you, you mentioned that you 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 found that love with uh, when working with Heather there at, at filemaker Inc but how did why did you make that full transition did you see a, a, a need did you were you making? bad designed apps that you you wanted to get better at uh i'd say i'd say when i first started to see the stuff that she was working on and then like this and 
the way that that team was coming up with new ideas and and I, I started I, that's when I started to realize like, oh, yeah, I've been going about this wrong. And, you know, I think you know, developing solutions, if you are not paying enough attention to the user or the problem or, or you know, other things, you know, it's a kind of a crapshoot of if the solution you launch works well. Like I had a company that I worked with in my first job that, you know, we launched a new uh, piece of software with one team and it went swimmingly and it was fantastic. Everybody loved it. Um, and actually, I, I use this example even in one of my talks. Um, but like then that parlayed into another opportunity at that same company, but working with a different team and a different set of people. And we launched that product and it failed miserably, like no one wanted to use it. And so it was basically a waste of money for that company. Like, you know, it was great for us. We still got paid, but, you know, the client wasn't so happy at the end of the day because no one wanted to use the thing. And that was when I started to realize like, oh, yeah, design, you know, isn't just about like, oh, yeah, how do I make something look good? But like, how do I actually understand what the problem is and how do I build something so that people will want to use it? Like that was, I think, the the main th- like crux of it for me when I started, which was like, oh, I want to build something so that people want to use the thing I build, not build something because they have to use the thing I build. Like that was kind of the beginning of it. And I think hearing some of the stuff that Heather was talking about and, and the team that was under her, that that's what I think the, that's when the, the switch flipped for me of like, oh, there are things you can do so that they want to do it. <laughs> and it's not just me like building something and saying, here's how it works. You can do that now. Great. It solved your problem, right? No, no, it didn't. It just, you just added another problem for them <laughs> and a new thing that they had to learn. Uh, and so that was that was, I think, kind of the where I got the the itch to like become a designer at a certain level. Do you think it's always been that way where um we want people to care about the the app that they're using versus just getting the work done inside something that even might have a horrible user interface or workflow? Uh, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to speak for other developers and designers out there. I, I, all I know is that, you know, I got into development because I realized like I'm lazy. <laughs> I don't want to do things the hard way. And if there's an easier way to do it, then I want to build something that allows me to do it easier. I think that's why I, I assume that's why a lot of people get into development. It just makes our, you, you know, it makes our lives easier uh, or it makes other people's lives easier. Um, but the thing that I think I didn't realize, and again, I was, you know, in my young, I was in my early twenties. What did I know at that point in time? But like the thing I didn't realize was, you know what, other people have other perspectives and other experiences and other things that, you know, other things that they're bringing to this where, you know, putting that button in that place and then having you, you know, having them fill in these three things to then start this script that then runs something that made sense to me. But that didn't mean that that made sense to that person or that was in the place where that person would start that workflow. That was just what made sense to me. And so I think that was that was the thing for me was like, I, I still, you know, I, 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 I at the time before that light switch turned on, I was like, I'm helping people. I'm helping people make them more efficient um, and then not paying attention to the places where I was making them less efficient. You know, I solved this big problem, but I added these five other ones that I didn't think about. Uh, so I think that was that was when the when the light switch went on there it was like, oh, by doing it that way, I've caused them a lot more 
issues or maybe not more issues, but I haven't made it as easy as I could have made it. And I haven't made it something that they want to use. So maybe I need to, maybe I need to rethink that kind of stuff and understand people better. <laughs> it, it's probably just my perspective and me being in FileMaker now, but we, we definitely place a lot of emphasis on the design and you, you define design as workflow and how it looks and the patterns that you have in there. But I assume 20 years ago, people cared about design. I, I don't know, were you, did you hear about this in the FileMaker worlds, you know, back when you started, when you were a systems engineer? Uh, I mean, it's, well, uh, were, were there DevCon sessions about design clear back, you know, 20 years there ago? There might have been. I, I didn't go to them. <laughs> that was, that was okay. the fun of it. I, I think, um, I think uh, one of the, one of the things with the community back then, and I mean, what do I know? Because again, I was in my young twenty, I was in my early twenties, and and I was paying attention to the things that I wanted to pay attention to. Um, but it felt like a little bit like, hey, we have this tool that again allows us to solve problems really easily, and there are some people that are inherently better than others about you know, asking the right questions and solving problems. And then, then there are others that aren't so good at it, but we all have this tool now that allows us to solve problems quicker. And so we're just mm -hmm. going to focus on the tool. Um, uh, again, I'm sure there were still some sessions that talked about visual design or, or, you know, doing other pieces, but it wasn't as prevalent. Um, but I will say that around the time that I became a systems engineer, I think it was because Heather joined um, that they really okay. started to push like, Hey, um, and I mean, as a systems engineer, I got to see a lot of solutions that people built. They were great for the person that built them, right? Like sure, they worked yeah. exactly how that person needed it to work for them. They also were really tough to use for anybody who was not that person. Uh, because coming in and understanding how that person sees the world and like having to take in that person's mentality of the world was tough. And so you had these tools that were, you know, had just high learning curves and no one really, none, none of the other people of those companies really wanted to use them, or at least they did enough because they solved some of their problems. You know, it was, it was, there was enough there that it's like, okay, I can learn the rest because it makes this one thing easier for me. And that was where we we're like, Hey, we can do some stuff here to teach people about how to build more universally and understand people better. And also try to up the visual design game. Not that that's the most important thing, but it is a thing. It's a thing that is important mm -hmm. uh, at a certain level. You don't have to be the best visual designer to still build something that works really, really well. But if you have something that's, you know, looks a little bit nicer, you know, that's good. Uh, but it has, it still has to work well. Um, and so if we can do something around that, and that's where like, I think the design track took off at DEF CON and we started having speakers like Bob Shockey and uh, Don Levan. And these are, you know, some of these names are no longer in the FileMaker community. Uh, but, uh, you know, these people started talking a lot. Alexis Allen these days, obviously, we're giving these sessions now where we're, you know, talking about how to actually design stuff within FileMaker. And mm -hmm. again, not just visually design stuff, but, you know, think through the user's problems, understand them better, and then design it how those people see the world so that they have a tool that they want to use. Ernest Coe was on a couple of weeks ago, and he made the point that FileMaker developers do a disservice when they don't think of themselves as a programmer. Um, we are programming for our customers, for our clients in FileMaker. 
Um, can can FileMaker developers consider themselves designers <laughs> as well? Uh, yeah, this is this is one a fun contentious debate that happens in like Twitter oh. design community. I wouldn't say it's specifically for FileMaker. I think it's just a it's a general debate in the design community of like who's a designer, who's allowed to call themselves a designer, and who's not allowed to call themselves a designer. And I think it's it like the the two sides that argue against each other are very much similar, but like one is basically saying like anybody who designs something is a designer because they are doing the act of designing something. And so at a certain, at a certain point, yes, anybody who's in FileMaker and making decisions about what layouts, you know, what things go on, what layouts and how those layouts work together and what the theme is and that, what theme you use and that kind of stuff. Yes. You can consider yourself a designer. Um, There are some people that are on the other side of that spectrum that are like, like even though they might be a design activity, they are not they're doing a design activity. They are not designers themselves because they have not perfected the act of what design really means. Like just because you can make decisions about what goes on a layout doesn't mean that you're making the right decisions. Doesn't mean that you're actually, you know, being human centered or that you've done any sort of research or have anything that goes into why you're making that decision other than like it fits your mental model of, of how things should work. Um, and so where I kind of set up that those are the two ends that argue that are like argue against each other. Like you have to be good to be a designer. Another person like anybody can be a designer. I kind of sit in the middle. That's like everybody can be a designer, but there are good designers and there are bad designers <laughs> like anything. So mm-hmm. You can consider yourself a designer, but like unless you take the time to learn about visual hierarchy, information architecture, um, user research, how to do proper user research, how to do proper usability testing, um, how to ideate new solutions. And then you're also like, you know, on that on that side of like learning and trying to find new patterns and how to use those patterns and when are those patterns good and what are they bad for so that you're not just ripping off a pattern because it's a pattern that people know, but like you're using it in the right way until you're doing that kind of work. Like, you know, you need to progress your game a little bit. You can consider yourself a designer, but you're probably on the lower end of that. So I, and that's where I started. Like I started down there. It's like, I don't know any of these things and I designed some stuff that, you know, I, I kind of quote unquote, consider myself a designer that I didn't do a great job on. Like I still didn't spend enough time talking to customers. I didn't spend enough time understanding what their real problem was, but that, you know, it was a learning process and just having the right process to then be like, oh, I need to get better at that. Or these are things I need to get better at. FileMaker developers, and I, I think this is widely known, is we're kind of full stack yeah. engineers. We're back end, front end, side end, all this stuff. We're doing a lot of stuff. Whereas I suspect, and I, I may be wrong because of my limited experience in the web development, but those those are often separated, um, separated concerns, separated developers doing those things. So FileMaker developers, since we're doing it all, basically, we we need to know something about design, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a fun, fun play there because I mean, granted the, the markets are different. The number of companies are probably different, but I, you know, I'd probably say that you could find more than a handful web design companies out there that are just lone person, just like you can find, you know, a lot of FileMaker consultancies out there are like lone person. 
Um, but you can also find FileMaker consultancies out there that have specialized tasks, some more specialized than others. Uh, really just depends on the size and, and how much they're willing to, to take that risk to, to specialize in specific things. So like, for example, the last role I was at at iSolutions, you know, I loved working with Chris and his team. They were great. Um, but the way that his company was set up, like to do design, you also had to be a project manager. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the best project manager. I'm okay. I'm fine at it. Um, we had other people that are on the team that were very, they were a lot better at project management than I was. Um, that said, I was probably better at design than they were. And so we worked together. You know, I learned project management stuff from them, talked to them, got tips so that I could be better. Um, but then I also tried to help them with design stuff um, so that we're, we're, you know, somewhere having a consistent experience for all of our customers. Well, so I think that's that's the thing is like, if you are going to be the lone person and like you're going to handle the customer from like the beginning to the end, um, like you're doing the sale, you're finding the customer, you're then defining their problem, you're then building the thing for them, <laughs> you're then testing the thing, you're supporting it. Then yeah, you you are the des- you are doing design as part of that. You're doing research as part of that. You are doing development as part of that. You are a programmer. You are a designer. You are doing all of those things. Um, it really just and. And but the problem then is you you are very much a specialist, and that's like it's great to be a specialist. It's great to know a lot about like a little about a lot. And I used to be that way as well. Um, but we uh, we joke a lot in the design community, like especially on the team that I work on, because it's like a hundred people, there's hundreds of people <laughs> on this you know Capital One design team. But they talk about like everybody has to be a generalist. But what's your T? And so like the T is like if I if I if I have make a, a horizontal axis of all of the stuff that I have to know to be a good designer, like what's the one thing you go deep on? <laughs> like I, I'm good and I can do a little bit about all of these horizontal things, but what's that one thing that I can I know more about than everybody else? What's your T? And so that's like I think that's what ends up happening a lot of where with FileMaker developers is that they are that, you know, their T, their deep thing that they go deep on is the development stuff because that's interesting. That's cool. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, And I try in a lot of my sessions just to make it so that the design bit of that is like not so flat and close to the top, but maybe is a little bit deeper than it was earlier. Like you're still going to be super deep on the development stuff, but let's give you a few more techniques that make it a little bit you have a little bit more depth on the design than you did before. If you had the opportunity to design a FileMaker developer shop, would you separate the design from the schema scripting functionality? Uh, uh, I would have the teams work together, but I would want to have people that were specialized in either of those things. Mm -hmm. Like I would, um, and I, I will say it also depends on the size and the number of people and what their strengths are. Like, Again, I was someone that was my strength was in this middle between like I if I had this T of project management, design, development, like my T was deep on design and used to be super deep on development. But then, you know, over years I get less. And so it's, it's still pretty good. But like I'm deeper in design than I am development these days. And so mm-hmm. like. If you had me, like I could do some of your development for you and I could do some of your design, but then that would make sense for the company that I'm in to have me sit in that kind of space if that's what I wanted to do. Um, And if you have some people that are really good at design and project management, like have them there. Like, I don't know if there's like a one size fits all like FileMaker consultancy shop, but that said, like you want people, you want 
you want enough people so that you have depth in every activity, right? Like you want to make sure that you have enough people that are like, I have depth in design and development and sales and customer relationship and uh, project management. And if I can do that myself and that's enough depth to keep the, you know, things coming in great. Um, but if I want to have a few more people, like maybe don't go super deep and just people that are really good with development, <laughs> unless you can handle all of the other things. But so I think that's the, I don't think there's a perfect one, but just making sure you have depth in all of those. And I, I will say that there are some consultancies out there that I don't think have enough depth in design. And they're probably the first companies to tell you that they don't. And so that's 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 the thing that I think, again, the community is growing and getting better at. And actually new people are coming in. Like I'm always happy to see new sessions at DevCon from new people that haven't spoken at, at DevCon before and then seeing the things that they put up there. Like the younger generation mm -hmm. of people that are coming in have a much higher um, expectation for like, what things look and feel like. And so the stuff that's coming in these days is, is so much better than it was, you know, years ago from the new people in the community. So you, you, in 2017, you had a DEF CON session called, uh, how showing not telling can improve your discovery process. Basically you talked about how to get out of the client, what they want in their, in their system. You talked a lot about prototyping yeah. and, and, and so forth. And then in uh, 2019, you, you ha had a hands-on session, which was two and a half hours. Uh, wasn't quite a training, but, or a session, it was in between, uh, where people got to do some work in between lectures, mm -hmm. right? And, and that was called Building Polished Interfaces Hands-On Lab. Did you enjoy doing that um, hands-on lab? Was that a fun thing it to do? It was, uh, but as you can imagine with most hands, most hands-on labs, especially when I, I made the mistake in that lab of saying like, hey, bring your own solution um, without remembering <laughs> what some people's solutions look like. Uh, I think like the first uh, activity was like, take an, an asset inventory of, all of like the things that people do most in your solution. And someone's like, I don't know where to start. And they show me a layout that has, you know, a thousand objects on it. I'm like, you're right. I don't know if you're going to get like, start with a, like, you know, section off this layout to just a quarter of this layout and maybe start there <laughs> or like find all of the buttons. What are all the buttons? What do they say? What do they do? What are the tasks that the people do? So I, I made a little bit of a mistake in that one, but I think, I think it went over well for the people that stuck around for it. Um, Cause we did spend, you know, again, it was, it, that was my attempt to give you or to give the people that were there a little bit of depth in an area that they might not have have thought about. And the same thing with the, the session before, because um, actually the, the session that you didn't see in the year between was I did a, a like you know, full training day, full day training day of, uh, of like my design process and basically taking them through like how to do user research and, and had the, had some of the people in, where was that? Was that Dallas? I think it was Dallas. Um, yeah, had uh -huh. everybody basically like go out into the halls and interview people. <laughs> and so the, during the training day, all of my attendees like left for an hour and <laughs> just interviewed people in the hallways, which was fun. Um, so yeah, I, I've, my, all of my sessions have been trying to just give people more tools than they had before and just expand their depth. And I always try to come, you know, I, I try to come at it from a few different directions. And I will say, you know, I've worked closely with the people at FileMaker before. I have good relationships with them. And so um, there have been times where, 
you know, I'm like, Hey, I got an idea about this. What do you think? <laughs> and they're like, well, take it in this way and maybe we can talk. I'm like, okay, that's, that's good mm -hmm. to know. And so this last one I think was, was one where I was like, where does design fit this year? What should I, what should I cover? And got a little bit of feedback from some of my old coworkers that, that helped me put it in a direction that I was like, okay, I think this will, this will work. So your, your, your sessions and yeah, I didn't see your training day, but I'll look up the well, materials. Yeah, there's there's no video available. for it. Cause yeah, it was one of those, you have to pay extra to go to it kind of thing. So, yep. but yeah, it's, it's, there was, that was, there was a lot of content in that one. <laughs> they, you, you definitely make the point that uh, design is not just how pretty it looks, but the, the workflow that's associated with a particular layout and, you spend a lot of time in the prototyping session talking about showing layouts, showing workflows more more accurately and explaining, well, in that session, how to um, get your users, your clients to approve the workflow, to kind of test them on the workflow. Um, so in your head, you see those as two different things, is, is workflow and prettiness i guess <laughs> for the lack of a better yeah way. i mean the 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 concept of prettiness is is or or visual design or aesthetics is obviously subjective and so that it's tough to say like you know what one person says is better or not and it's tough to test that kind of stuff you can't really test it um and being right or wrong with aesthetics is a subjective question and so like you want to say like hey you know what if you're not good at this like the bare minimum you can do is like go to someone who has a theme and has like a good theme and just use it and maybe change the colors so that the colors match like the colors of the company or whatever they want or something um like that's the bare minimum you should be doing if, if you don't feel comfortable doing your own visual design. Um, but the rest of those other sessions, I, I, like, yeah, visual design is cool, but in, I, I definitely use the phrase a lot of like putting lipstick on a pig, like visual design is not mm -hmm. everything you can't, Someone you, you had a different metaphor. Probably, I've used a few different uh, colorful metaphors in my, <laughs> my DevCon talks before, uh, but in this one, it's uh, yeah that that concept of like that is something, and that's fine. But if you don't spend the time understanding your customers' needs and how they see the world and how they use software and what their mental models are and what they're used to, then it doesn't matter. Uh, if you make something look nice, if you have a nice, pretty theme on it. Um, so you need to do, it's it, like, in terms of importance, the workflow and understanding that is paramount. Like you can have something that doesn't look as good, but as long as it matches their workflow, you're going to be all right. Um, but but sure. if you can spend a little bit of time also getting it look nice, then it's, you know, that's, you know, that's the cherry on top of your, of your Sunday. So let's let's dive into that the uh, workflow yeah. part because I have a I have a lot of questions about that and I, I think about that a lot. Um, here are just some things we're going to talk about. Um, who's right? <laughs> <laughs> um, the relationship or the um, connection to other services, like you know anything that a filemaker user is using um, besides that custom yeah. app. Let's, let's, let's talk about the design pattern. So obviously your session and Alexis is a, and Mark Baum's session talks about certain design patterns that seem to be accepted in the world nowadays. You specifically point out in one of your sessions, a visual hierarchy. Yep. And I, it was very clear. I appreciate the clarity that you put together. showing an iPhone talking about here's the phone stuff, right? Here is the, um, that's the top 
bar of the of the phone. Yeah. I think the next one is here's the app stuff, yeah. right? Then the things, yeah. right? That, that are associated with that one one thing. So in your example, you were talking about contacts, right? So you showed a bunch of contacts. And then the last hierarchy is the thing itself, the one yep. thing. Um, so that is a design pattern that you've adopted and you find uh, very useful. And I assume is is part of most websites, most apps, right? Yeah. I mean, and um, I, yeah, the concept of visual hierarchy obviously goes further beyond just that. It's used for a lot of different things. But that was one example that I, in the polish session, that I, I wanted people to specifically think about because it was... An, uh, a pattern that I had seen a bunch that I didn't like, uh, especially when I adopted other people's solutions, was like, where does this button go? Like, it, like that kind of question of like, where do I put this button? And mm-hmm. and I've always, again, a simple question I ask myself when I'm like, where do I put this button? Is like, is this button something that is like universal to this app? Like, is this something I can do everywhere on this app that I should be able to do everywhere on this app? Or is, does it help me like navigate within this app? Um, or is it something about like the things I'm looking at? So if I'm looking at contacts, does this allow me to find within contacts? Does this allow me to uh, sort or export my contacts that I'm looking at? Or is this uh, action that's about like the one individual contact? And so like, mm-hmm. and, and so I'm exporting this one contact or I am sharing this one contact. And so that was just a, yeah, that visual hierarchy was just a way of saying like, where do I put things in, in that, in that way, shape or form. But yeah, it's, it's a pattern that I think, you know, when you come to like a list view of things like, yeah, list view is a, is a design pattern that people understand and you have to use some sort of visual hierarchy to get people to understand where things are. It doesn't mean you need to follow that specifically, but if you do follow it, like follow the rules of it. <laughs> you know, if you don't have a list view that then works in some sort of other weird way where it's not in that kind of, you know, outside in fashion. So let's let's take that design pattern because that's one that we can learn as FileMaker developers. It doesn't require a design degree, going to art school or anything. You you laid it out very clearly, and we we can take it and use it. Once we've learned that and we've applied it, <laughs> this is a weird question, and and I know you're going to say the the answer is it depends. But um, who is right when who is right in the workflow? Is it us who has learned this design pattern and know it's the most efficient way for users to get their work done? Or is the client right in when they ask for something that you know is wrong or breaks the the, the visual hierarchy, wants to put the thing uh, button up in the top, for example? Um, who's right? Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you interact? And to expand upon that, how do you interact with the client to, to find the the common the meeting space the the common yeah middle. this is I, I I could probably spend the next thirty minutes to an hour talking about this so cut me off at any point in time <laughs> it's it is a yeah it's a tough question to answer I think uh, I'll put it this way paramount if the user cannot understand how to use it. Like, and it doesn't make, if it doesn't make sense to the user and they have no clue that that means what you're trying to say it means, then 
then that's a, that's something that means it's wrong. It doesn't mean that they're right. It just means that the thing that you've built or designed is wrong. Because if they can't figure out how to use it, then you need to do something different. And so I think that's that's the first step is is it is this thing that I've built going to solve these people's problems and make sense to them with, you know, the right amount of training that we will accept is a all right amount of training for this thing. Again, like you want to hope that there's zero training, but you know, let's be honest, we're building big systems. Sometimes there needs to be a little bit of training, but what is like the right amount so that that person knows that they can go back and do that thing again and again, and it's easy for them to do. So that's, so that's the first thing. Like you need, just need to understand that. And like, and again, if, if you do some usability testing, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but if you do some usability testing and you found that like your customers don't know where that is or don't understand what that button is or any of that kind of stuff, then you're wrong. That's 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 the first thing to get in mind. And actually, that was the first thing I I, I enjoyed. Well, I don't say I enjoyed, but it was it was something I had to learn as part of being a designer or, you know, quote unquote, a designer was like not being so tied to the thing that you put together, like drawing something up on paper and being immediately willing to crumple it up and throw it away and say like, this did not get proved out in research of doing usability testing or other pieces. And so therefore I am wrong and we need to find another way. Now that said, if I have a customer that is asking me for something very specific and, and it, well, here, I'll put it this way. If the usability testing says that their users understand it and know how to use it, then I, that's what I'm going to point to. If that person's like, hey, I think this button belongs up here. Um, I'm going to be like, well, you're going to need to sell me pretty hard because our usability testing has shown that our that your customers, your users, the people that you're building this thing for, know what that is, know how to use it. And so like, if you're going to move it, then we need to have a really good reason for why to move it. So then the next question I would always ask in that scenario is why? And it's actually, this is something I've, I've learned a bit. Like I, in recent years, when I moved back to Chicago, I started, started playing in a band. I started a band and I got some more people on the band and found people on Craigslist. And I write most of the music for it, but that doesn't mean the other people don't have say in what that music is and that we, you know, we all are in a band together. We all should have some sort of say. Um, and I've, I, I will say I, from when I was in a band when I was in high school and it's like, someone's like, I don't, I want, I take your song and I want to change it and do it this way. Like it, it felt like a personal affront. Like, why are you changing this thing? It's creative and it's beloved to me. And then I, you know, I get older in this and I'm like, and I'm like, well, why do you want to change it? Like, what is it about how it is currently? Or what do you think this new part is going to add that somehow makes this song better? And getting that and having those people like talk about it in that way. And sometimes they don't have an answer. And I'm like, well, think about it. Like, I'm not going to shoot your idea down right away. And like, let's play through it. And maybe we get something from it. But like, have an answer to that. Like, why do you want to change it? Um and we can have a discussion about that. And that doesn't mean that the solution we come up with is the one that you suggested right away. But at least I can understand what you didn't like. 
And from there, we can come up with new ideas together to eventually get to a solution that works for everybody. And then if you do have a new solution that you think works, test it <laughs> to see usability testing. And if it's worse than it was before, then maybe you need to go back <laughs> and say like, hey, you know, you, you, I liked what you didn't, I, you know, I liked the conversation we had there. I liked that we were going in a direction that, you know, you wanted to make it better, um, but we made it worse. So why don't we change it back? Because um, that usability testing is going to be your, your, you know, North Star. That's going to tell you if you're going in the right direction or not. Um, and so if you don't do that, then you're, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to have an answer. So it's, it's, it's just finding that right way of working with people and, and asking the why and getting to like, well, what's their, how do they see the world differently that thinks that that's the right solution to things? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but at least start the conversation and maybe you can find middle ground and then test it out and see if it actually improves things. It seems to me a design pattern is supposed to be universally understood <laughs> because it's, I mean, it's a pattern, right? So, and universal is a loose term there, yeah. but you mentioned some training and, and taking a little bit of time with training. To me, again, you're, you're speaking to me who doesn't know a whole lot about design or and tries to understand, but if a design pattern is a design pattern, then the only reason someone would want to change it is just they don't like it. They don't want that workflow to happen. They want it to look and feel different. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say it's that. I'd say they have a different mental model than the rest of the world, or maybe not the rest of the world, but okay. you know, they have a different mental model than what a lot of people have been used to. And okay. if those, and if you're building a solution for just that one person, like sometimes we do build in FileMaker community, we do build things for just like the one lone guy, right? We're not mm -hmm. always building things for, a solution that's going to have 30 or 40 people. Sometimes we do, sometimes they're building it for this one guy in this one department that needs to run that one thing. And if that guy wants it in that place, you know, put it in that place. Like it's, you know, it's probably not the worst thing in the world as long as it makes sense to that person. Okay. But if that per one person wants it in that place and there are 10 other people that are also using that same thing that think that that makes it more confusing, then you need to figure out how to deal with that one person. It's And obviously it's tougher when that's the one person that's paying the bills. Um, but if you can prove out to that person that like, hey, you know what? Everybody else on your team sees it this way and they understand it and it makes sense to them. So you will be making all of their lives harder <laughs> by making this change. <laughs> and like, if you want to do that, then that's, you know, that's up to you. Like, but you just understand that that's what you're doing for people by like making that change. You are making other people's lives more difficult. And most people that are signing the checks, you know, if you approach it from that direction, and again, you have the usability research to back it up to say that this makes sense to those people. Um, and you're not just like saying, well, I think it's not about, I think like, but I, I know the research told yeah. us that cust that your users understand this workflow. And they know what that button means and they know the wording of it makes sense to them and they click on it. If you have that background and say like, well, you can change something, but you're going to be breaking this thing that we know works. Like, do you really want to spend the time and the money on that? Most people would, I think most people would probably say no, like that's probably fine. <laughs> uh, but you need the research to back it up. You need the evidence. Like if you're just saying, I think, then he's like, well, I think something else. 
and you're like, well, now we can get yeah. in, into uh, into a you know a contest of of you know who has the most experience in something and who's paying the bills and blah 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 blah, and that's not worth it. And so it's just like a, and that's why I, I do very much focus on, and I've talked about this in most of my sessions that like when you're building prototypes, like you have to do the right usability testing to like tell you if you're going in the right direction or not. You mentioned in one of the sessions, testing does not equal a demonstration. You're de- you're demoing for the person that pays the bills, but you're testing with the actual users. And the person who paid the bills may not actually be a user of the system. Or they right? might be a so, different user in the system, yeah. Yeah, two different things is testing and and demonstrations. So. Exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's that is a tough thing that like even it's tough for me sometimes. Like it's so easy to just hop into like let me show you this thing I built because I feel so proud of this thing I built and mm-hmm. to and to stop that and to have again the perspective of like yeah, I might be proud of the work I put into this thing, but like if it's wrong, then it's wrong and I need to change it. And spending that time to like sit down and say like, all right, uh, you know, I have gathered from research that the first thing you do when you come in is check to see what shows you need to assign crew to. Can you, here's the screen, show me where you would go to do that. (laughs) <laughs> and then they have them walk through and describe that like they're going to the place that you thought that they would go and that they're seeing mm-hmm. the things that they would expect to see in that place and that that flow works for them and then learn from it and say like, okay, I was either right or wrong. And then, and you know, there's some things that will be right and there's some things that'll be wrong. And then you fix the things that are wrong and you do it again, hopefully with a slightly different audience. So that hasn't seen it before. Um, but like, that's the stuff that is, that's like the gold. If you can get to that point to really like test out those things and again, spend like minimal amount of time so that you can do a prototype. And that was the, what the whole prototyping session at DEF CON was about, but you spend the minimal, minimal amount of time so that you can test out an idea and a workflow um, and then get validation on it. Then you're in the right direction. Keep going, add more fidelity, you know, make it, make it more real. Um, but start low and then build up to it as you have more confidence that you're going in the right path. In the design community, is there any data, any research data that I can use to help me figure out the design pattern to use? I mean, if if my clients are just normal people, I'm sure there's other normal people who have already been tested in a certain pattern. Can I, is there anything like that out there or am I just making something? I wouldn't say there's research per se, but I would say, you know, reading through Apple's human interface guidelines, reading through Android's uh, material design guidelines. I think it just might just be called material design docs or whatever. Reading through those and like getting a sense of like, this is the way we do things. We put things in here and we style them in this way because there, you know, we've had some sort of research that this is what makes sense to people. Um, mm-hmm. Now, granted, those are very much focused around like the apps that come on your phones or on your Mac. They do have Mac OS human interface guidelines. Um, and so like there are very specific patterns that, you know, seem to work on those based around research that Apple has done. <laughs> and that it's also something that like a pattern becomes a pattern because multiple people start using it. Um, the problem with patterns is like when multiple people start using it, but like for wildly different things, like that's one of the reasons, like there's so many reasons why people hate the hamburger menu, but that's like one of the main reasons is because 
people use it for so many different things that there's no one concise, like when I click on that, I know exactly what I'm going to get. Like the, the vast majority of it is navigation, but it's not always used for navigation. In many cases, it's used as like a junk drawer of like, here are all of the things that I don't know where it goes and I'm not going to spend the time doing information architecture. So I'm just going to put everything there. <laughs> Everything's at the top layer. And it's, no, that's not, that's not how things work. Um, and so I think that's like, it's finding and understanding, like, this is what people see about this pattern and how people like what their mental model is for the pattern. And I guess one of the lucky things with FileMakers when building for stuff for FileMakers, most of the stuff you build other than like, you know, the Todd Geist of the world that are and the John Sindelars that are actually, you know, selling products out to people. But most of us that are in the consulting space or in-house developers are building things that we can talk to the people we're building it for. And so we can understand like the software that they use and their own mental models and, and, and how they see the world and how they interact with their digital devices. And if we can see that, then we can understand, well, yeah, maybe this pattern works well for people that are familiar with Facebook, but for the people that have never signed into Facebook ever, this pattern would be completely like it would be useless to them. It wouldn't make any sense to them because they've never used it. Or like this pattern works really well for people that are on iOS, but none of the people in this office have an iOS device. They've never bought an iPhone. They don't have an iPad. And so using an iOS pattern for this audience, it's not going to be easy and useful for them. That's going to be a learning curve for them. Um, and so understanding the pattern that makes sense for that audience and understanding their mental model is going to be the most important thing other than just like saying like, oh, well, here's this pattern. Here's how I should use it forever. Um, so, yeah. That's an interesting idea. When you interview your clients, ask them what apps they're using, what devices they have, and then that can kind of determine which patterns you will pick from in your system. Yeah, I mean, right? I ask them to show me, like, you know, most of the time when we're building stuff for them, they have a way of doing the thing that you're going to build, like with the software that they have available to them right now. Right. Like they're either going back and forth between spreadsheets and email and uh, and uh, QuickBooks and whatever, or they're using Basecamp and they're, you know, logging into constant contact and blah, 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 blah. But like they have things that they're using now. And so to understand like, OK, here's how here's what you're used to. Um, I can build things similar in that way in some places, but other ways I'm going to change so that it fits how FileMaker thinks about stuff. I'm going to test out my assumptions on where I can deviate from your current mental model and teach you something new. And But in other places, I'm going to keep it similar. And like making that decision is... It's it's not perfect. Like you gotta you gotta have a hunch on it and work on it and then test it. Um, but that like mm -hmm. you we do have the luxury of being consultants and in house developers that we we in many cases can talk to the people that we're actually building stuff for. Oh, you talk to your clients? <laughs> I, I very much talk to my clients, or I used to when I was a consultant. I don't do I don't do that much. Actually, no, I still I still we still do testing uh, at Capital One, right? We granted it's not like you know one on one. Like it's much more difficult because we're we're building stuff for you know large audiences, but we still talk to people. Like we still do usability testing. We still do research. We want to understand how they see the world. I suppose you do A/B kind of testing. Yeah, there are some some people do A/B testing. Sometimes they do it, you know, before it launches. Sometimes they put it in the public to small, you know, 
hands, you know, handful uh-huh. of users to see which one, which things work better. Uh, it really just depends upon the thing that you're trying to go for. But yeah, there's a lot of different testing techniques or ways to learn um, that, you know, people that are doing design have, have figured out different methods. You mentioned training. I've always wondered, how do you know if your design is that the users weren't aren't properly trained or it's just a bad design? Well, I mean, you should hopefully be building stuff that you have to be minimally trained for. Again, it's tough in some scenarios. I'm not going to say that in all cases. You know, sometimes we're building really tough so that's a Photoshop. Yeah, Goodness. I mean, again, like there's certain high, again, yeah, Photoshop is for a very specific audience of people that know kind of, you know, and most of the times you're getting Photoshop because like you want to do something. And so you're going to figure it out. There are tutorials online and you're fine. Um, but again, that's for an audience like they're trying to they're reaching a much wider, larger audience. We're normally not building tools for that subset of people. We're not building tools for like, you know, everybody from like the person who just wants to et- touch up some photos to like, you know, graphic designers of like the top tier. We're not doing that kind of work. Most of the time we're normally building for smaller groups of people, maybe, you know, 100 or 200 tops. And so in the in that case, like. You should be able to you know, talk to the right people to like understand what their needs are and figure out like what's the right amount of training that a team needs to have for something. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's a tough balance that you'll have to figure out with, again, the people paying the bills, because who's going to write the training? Who's going to give the training? Like that's not like just because like it needs tra- like you're going to say like, OK, well, that thing didn't really work really well, but we can train people on how to do that. Like that doesn't mean it's now free. That doesn't mean they've saved any cost. They've just diverted the cost from development and design over to now training. <laughs> so, so who's going to do that? Where does that cost come from? So it's, I'd say it's, it's tough to pinpoint, but like you'll want to just usability test enough that you think like, Hey, you know what? Most people get this without any sort of training. Like they can go through the steps and understand how this works uh, without needing someone to handhold them every time. Um, so that's 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 the goal if you can get to it. Um, but then knowing, yeah, if you're building for large audiences, it's going to be tougher to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned a, a little bit back that, that we talk with clients, we can talk with clients and ask them what, they're, um, what apps they're using. Let's say a, a business um, relies on FileMaker, but it relies on ten other services as well. It, it relies on a, it relies on an online inventory system that they built that they had before mm-hmm. they built the FileMaker app. My 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 wonder is because they're in this same workflow, right? They're working with uh, inventory and getting it, like making sure that their warehouse has enough or whatever, and they're using FileMaker and this other app. Do those two apps need to be similar in workflow or because it's FileMaker and it's the online inventory, they're different. They can have different workflows with no problem. It depends upon your user set. Again, like who who are the people that are using this FileMaker? Are they the same people that use that online one? Um, also, how much time are they going to spend in FileMaker versus the online one? Like as an example, like we had a... Um, we had a, a client of mine that some of their work was, or, you know, they had a few, a few different personas of people and like some of them 
um, use this tool, but we're moving over to QuickBooks. And then they were going to be spending like all of their time in QuickBooks, but a little bit of time in the FileMaker solution. And there were other people that, you know, were going to spend all of their time in the FileMaker solution. And so for like the few people that spent just a little bit of time in the FileMaker solution, like we tried to make it a little bit easier for them. And like minimally, like one thing we, we had to learn and get better at, and this is minimally, you should do this. Like if there is a connection between those two things, make sure you're using the same language. <laughs> like that was something I was like, yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. I should call it that because it's called accounts for them in QuickBooks. So like we should call it accounts here and not companies or something else, right? Like let's make the language simpler for that person as they're context shifting between these two places. And so that's kind of the thing that you want to, you want to think about is like, how much time are they spending in one versus the other? Um, how much do you, does it need to be similar? Like minimally try to use the same language if you can, or use the language that makes sense to that person um, so that, you know, they can switch between them as best as possible. But yeah, it's, it's a big, it depends on that audience and like in how much time they're spending in both and, and, and understanding what that context shift is going to look like, like, and I, I don't just ask the question, like, what software do you use? Like, I watch them use the software. <laughs> I say, like, do that thing for me. Like, you say you use email to write an email to your, your customers or to all of the people that are your crew on this show. Show me that email. Write it up for me. Oh, well, I copy it from this template that I have over here and I paste in these things. Oh, okay. So it's not just like that you use email, but you have a thing over here. Okay, that's good. To know. Like, show me. And then from there, I'll figure out like what they're used to. And I can make some decisions about how much I need to copy something or not copy something or what what phrases I need to use that make sense in their mind. Um, but it's it's that's that's it's it's a tough thing. There's not going to be a, a, a simple answer for it. But like, yeah, you should at least make it as similar as makes sense for that user. Now, that said, like if it's a solution where like it's doing a completely different thing, it has nothing to do with QuickBooks whatsoever. There's not, they're not even touching. There's no API calls. There's no export or import. Yeah, maybe it can be different. Maybe it can be very different than the other one because it's not the same. It's different. I think that's more of a consideration that I actually haven't heard much talked about. But now that Clara sees FileMaker as a hub, but also to connect to different services, but also a place where a company's business logic goes. So if Again, if they're connecting to different sources and they're spending time in those other services, this is something to consider. Yeah, um, making it similar or completely different. Yeah, depending upon the, those people and their knowledge of those other systems, are they using them, et cetera, et cetera. And then again, their task shifting. Like, are they moving back and forth between these apps a lot or no? Yeah, there's no way for uh, Apple Podcasts and and keynote to be similar right yeah. <laughs> those are two different <laughs> exactly right. that said like if you're doing a video podcast maybe you use that and then you eventually export your thing like i mean i know there are some some video tools like camtasia or whatever that you know you can put together a powerpoint and then bring in like a pdf of it or something and it allows you to easily like sync that up to audio like there are things that make that sense like if you need to do that thing you can do it but they've thought through like those use cases but yeah you're right like apple podcast is not going to look like keynote 
<laughs> but they will share some things, right? Like they share a top bar. They share certain elements that are the same. And because I'm using a Mac and it, I need, it needs to be the same while I'm on a Mac or while I'm on my iPad. Um, but beyond that, they can be completely different from each other. We are FileMaker developers. We design scripts. We design the schema. And nobody in the company, in the, nobody in our clients' uh, space looks at that. They just want the transaction to be accomplished. They want all their records to be created or none of them. They want API calls to be brought, you know, the results to be brought down. So as a FileMaker developer, I can script that any way that I want. And here at Geist Interactive, we talk about, you know, if I if I want to do a code review with someone, the first question is, does it work? And they, I say yes. And they say, all right, great. That's great. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, so the way that I accomplish that workflow, that task is not as important. But when someone looks at my design, they're going to have a lot of critique. Um, how, how you mentioned that you grow, you've grown up in this and have been able to, to kind of let that go. But how does a FileMaker developer who can design all the code to her liking, um, how do they then switch to being able to give up their design preferences the way they wanted to design? Well, again, I don't think it's about necessarily giving up design preferences. I'd say everything needs to, again, be in in service of building the best thing for your users. Um, okay. And so, yeah, you might have a preference, but, but know that, like, if your preference... So, like, if you build a script... And let's say, you, and you're making all the design choices on how that, or the development choices on how that script is built. And then it goes live with live data and it takes five times as long than you thought it was going to take. Like it might work, yeah. but it doesn't work. Like really, no one's going to wait five minutes for that thing. So it's now back to the drawing board, right? So even though they're not telling you like, hey, here, you need to change that script. Well, they might be telling you that, but they're not going to tell you how to change it. They're just going to be like, I can't wait five minutes. Like they get, they, you luckily at that point get the problem. With design, it's a little bit different because in many cases, you're not getting the problem. You're getting a judgment by someone. Like, I think it should be this way. But that's why I always come back to like asking the why. Like, let's find the problem of why you're wanting that change. Like, well, I didn't see that button down there or that phrasing didn't make sense to me, or blah, 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 blah. Whatever the th reason is, like get to that reason and try to explore it enough so that you have some some information on it and make, a, make an educated decision about what to do next. Keep it the same or make a small change. But like... It, that doesn't necessarily mean it, you know, your solution is solved. So that's, that's the thing that like it, it just because, yeah, you can't have someone that makes that call to your code to say like, Hey, I wouldn't have written that loop that way. <laughs> like, you know what, yeah. if your loop is broken, people are going to find out, <laughs> they're going to tell you to change it. So it, it's just, you're just going to get it from a different perspective and knowing how to take that and shape it, that shape that conversation so that you get out of it the same type of thing as someone saying like, Hey, that thing didn't work. Your point is is well taken, and you know, based on your prototyping session, your design, your workflow has been decided before you even get into FileMaker. So there's no chance for you to build it and then have to. Well, well there's, there's little. There's, chance. Yeah, you're you're Less closer. Chance. You're you're closer to the end solution. But yeah, even in I still do usability testing or did usability testing when the thing was finally built, because now yeah, it's okay. built. And like even when you're doing like I used Adobe XD back in those days. Like I used Adobe XD prototypes. You still didn't really get a sense of 
exactly how someone enters in anything. You can't really do like field form entry uh, in Adobe XD. So like getting to the point where someone's actually like interacting with a dropdown list or like clicking a button and then like having it move to the next thing and using animations and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like that stuff is stuff that I eventually use ability test when I actually had the actual solution built. Um, but I would still do that testing after it was built. I do it, you know, multiple rounds throughout it. I do it after I'd had some paper prototypes that people could quote unquote click through. I do Adobe XD mockups that people could click through. And each time I'm adding fidelity as I'm getting a better sense of how I want to structure this stuff. And then I'm changing things. But yeah, by the time you get to the end, like you're hopefully not changing, like what is the overall navigation of how this system navigates together? You're making changes about like, how does that like how does that button change when I press it and what does the color look like? And then how does it navigate to the next thing? Or is this script taking too long for this thing to run and we need to rewrite it? Or you're making those kind of usability decisions and not like, let's throw away everything that we've done and rebuild this from the ground up. <laughs> Hopefully you've gotten that done with your paper prototypes, right? So And I would have to say FileMaker developers generally are people who are trying to digitally transform their their client's workspace, mm-hmm. workplace. They are trying to innovate, right? And so doing the transformation, doing the innovation also means making the workflow, the design work for the clients. So that probably gets some of the ownership out of it, right? It, it takes some of the pride out of the work because you're, you're really just trying to solve it for the client. Exactly, right? exactly. Okay. Well, I have some quick rapid fire questions. We didn't focus anything on the aesthetics or as I like to say, the prettiness, but I want to talk some about that. Um, first of all, what you mentioned Adobe XD, what other uh, resources do you use to do your design? Work? Um, so yeah, XD for prototyping. Um, that was a, a super invaluable tool. Um, I use paper and Sharpies. I have a bag of Sharpies with different colors and a few watercolor markers that I use to, to, you know, color buttons, different colors on my drawings, um, and do shading and stuff. Um, but I, I start my prototyping with paper, um, and, and markers. And I use like scannable, which is a thing from, uh, drop Evernote, Evernote, um, iPhone app that allows you to, you know, take your camera and scan something into PDF pages. Um, so I would use oh. that uh, to, cause a lot, of, even though I do paper mockups, I'd be doing testing with people that were in different country or different uh, cities and different States than I was. So I still had to get it digitally, but it still was quicker for me to draw out like 10 or eight or 10 different ideas on paper first, or like make changes and be like, Ooh, let's iterate on that idea. Um, I could do that on paper quicker than I could do that in XD. Um, but before that, like, so that's my prototyping stuff is basically, yeah, paper and then XD. Um, these days, people are really getting into Figma, which is like a more online type thing that you can have multiple people in at the same time. Um, that's an interesting tool that people are using these days. Um, but then other than that, um, when it comes to research, I do a lot of uh, using the product Mural, um, which is a great online tool for basically having like a digital whiteboard with post-its. And so I can do, uh, I would do, whenever I would do research, I do user flows. I do either like service blueprints, which is like a swim lane type mapping of like all of the different tasks as someone's moving through a flow of stuff. 
So I know like this is how someone moves through and here's how it moves between different people. If different people are interacting in that flow, um, I'd use that as a way to uh, detail out that, do journey maps, service blueprints. These are all things that I've covered in some of my sessions. So hopefully you can just Google service blueprint or swim lanes or, uh, or journey map to get a concept of what these things look like. Um, but I used Mural. That was totally invaluable for that because you can get multiple people in there. We can all be putting Post-its up um, and making changes kind of on the fly as we're on a meeting together, again, virtually in different states or countries. Um, but those were those were kind of like the main tools that I would I would use. Do you use Adobe Color? Yeah, I see a few other, I guess, a few other small ones. Colors, fun for if you're looking for color palettes. Um, there's also a tool, actually, I still have it down in the bottom of my computer called SIP, um, which is basically a tool that allows you to get that like magnifying glass, like select a color from anywhere on any page for anything and then put it into different palettes. And so like I use that a lot when I was working with customers that like didn't have a quote unquote design style. But if you go to their website, they obviously had someone design their website with a palette of colors. And so I just go on their website and mm -hmm. open up SIP, <laughs> I'd pull up a new palette and I just go click, 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 click and get all the different colors and then use that as, you know, the starting color palette for me um when i'm designing something again validate that those are the right colors first like that they want those kind of colors and start to show what it might look like in a few places um and i have some adobe xd mockups that that help show that so i can you know put in some new color palettes and they get a sense of what it looks like and then from there they can be like yeah i think that's that's the palette i want to go with so that you know again we're not further down the path and they're like well what if it wasn't that color blue what if it was more like purple and you're like well we already decided mm -hmm. this <laughs> and you can and then you're, you say like, okay, you can change it if you want, but that's going to be a lot of work because we're in development at this point, And now we have to change that in 8 million different places, even with themes. It's not super quick to change just one color if you're using it a lot of different places. Um, so yeah, those are, those are some of the tools, some of the tools that I use. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned in one of your sessions, um, design colors, the palette you talked about, you, you can make a good design with only three colors. Yeah. That's. You you mentioned that. Well, right? I'd say yeah. You probably um, don't want too many colors be too because many, okay. uh, because at, at you know at a certain point in time, like color is used in many cases to show like here's what I should be focusing on. Here's the thing that I need to look at right now. And when you have a system that has too many colors, um, a well, a first off, like you know. With a rainbow, even though there's a million different colors you can choose on the rainbow, like at the end of the day, like the differentiation between like pink and fuchsia, like they're not that really different. Like if you saw if they were put next to each other, someone's going to be like, oh, those are basically the same. Like and even like certain shades of pink and red, like people are going to think that that's kind of the same thing. And so like to have enough differentiation so that each color means something apart from each other, like you max can only really get about six to seven colors max. Like you wouldn't even want to go that far. Uh, that's not going to mean that much to people. So that's why I try to say like, you know, choose a main color, <laughs> choose a secondary color so that you have something that's a little bit different and then choose a third color. That's like a problem color. So that's your red. That's your like something is wrong, or at least in Western society, red is something is wrong, right? We've all kind of decided that in Western society. Yep. Luckily, most of our things that we're building are not like across multiple countries with different people with different color 
decisions were again lucky in that in that case as being file maker developers not to say we all or that's not everybody but most of us don't have to worry about that kind of stuff so those are the kind of the three colors i use and then again you have some sort of base like white or dark or black or something because no one wants to look at like a purple background all day no one wants to look at a yellow background all day like you need something that's kind of mute and just fades in so it doesn't take my attention and so it just sits in the back and then the colors are there to represent like what should i be looking at what's most important for me right now on this screen that's a call to action or something i need to do so that's why i try to i keep a fairly simple color palette in that case i noticed in in that uh speaking of the the warning and stuff you that that's a similar language that bootstrap has do you go with their theming their styles their language do you Go with their uh, colors. I have not yeah. specifically gone with bootstraps. I mean, I, I have used bootstrap okay. for prototypes before when I'm getting into like, uh, yeah, like web prototypes for stuff. Um, and I've been fine with their color choices. Again, yeah, I think they're, they've simplified it enough so that you have a specific palette and you can use that palette or you can change it if you want to. Um, but I think that's, mm-hmm. it's a fairly standard design thing for colors that it's like, the more colors you have, okay. like they really need to mean something. And that's why like the joke of like the fruit salad FileMaker solution looks like we've all seen the fruit salad FileMaker solution that has every color in the rainbow in it. And yeah. we're, we're trying to get away from that. That doesn't mean anything to people anymore. <laughs> How many times in the last, you know, four or five months and or FileMaker projects have you used Comic Sans? <laughs> I have uh, never used uh, Comic Sans. That said, if I, you know, if I had a customer and that was their default font, so something that they wanted to look at, and I would, I would be open to using it if that's what made sense. But for most customers, they don't. Most customers are using, you know, the fonts that come, you know, either a regular serif font like a San Francisco or a Helvetica or, uh, or should be a sans serif font like that or a serif font like Times New Roman or whatever. Yeah. Well, I don't think any design can be good without Comic Sans. You know what? So. More power to you, man. Like if you, if you want to hand <laughs> it in somewhere, you know, just make it the right place. Like it, it has to catch them at the right time where they're like, yeah, I needed a little bit of Comic Sans right in that moment. I, I, I dig it. I worked with a teacher who uh, used made all of his worksheets in Papyrus. <laughs> Every just like, like that papyrus. SNL skit, right? Of like avatars just use papyrus fonts. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's finish this out. Uh, this is you've given me a lot to to think about, and and I'm glad to to hear from you. Um, let's summarize everything we've talked about by asking you to give us some design concepts that FileMaker developers need to know. And I assume we've gone through a lot of those. Yeah. So just name them, <laughs> name and... them, and just move on with it. Oh yeah, there's yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we you can come. Hey, you can come back and talk about each one later. But you know, we want to give some. We want to give people a place another to start, hour and so. fifteen minutes of that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll say uh, this is the most important thing that I think. If if you're not doing this and you're not doing it right, then this will improve the stuff that you're doing, and that is the right form of usability testing. That's concept number one. And that's basically building something, whether it's a prototype or even, you know, the thing you build in FileMaker, but don't demo it for someone and say, this is how it works. 
It's take it to someone and say, I want you to do it without me telling you how to do it and seeing if you can do it. And like, if you uh-huh. can, if you start doing that as a way of validating what you're building, like it's good for both like bug testing, <laughs> you know, you can do bug testing that way. Even like if you don't use it with your customer, but do it with like other people at your company and say like, here's a task that I need you to do. Like try that first. And like, it's, it's helpful for doing that kind of bug testing as well, but like doing that with your customers and seeing like, yeah, this is right. Or this isn't right. Or I need to make a change because having that and like having someone be able to get through it is evidence that it's good. And that if you can bypass so many conversations about changing of color or moving things or whatever, if you know you have a few different people at that company that understand that workflow and can get from the front to the end of it without any tweak or without any change. If you can do that, then you're on the right path and you don't have to get into debates about like, well, I think, well, I think it's like, well, I know your customers went or your users went through it and it made sense. If you start doing that first and foremost, great. I think that's, that's kind of the first thing uh, that like, if you can start doing that instead of just demoing you're you're a step ahead of a lot of people, including myself for most of my career, I need, that was something I needed. I still needed to get better at. Um, but it's, it, that's kind of the most important one. Um, beyond that, you know, if, if you're not good, it really just comes down to like what you're good at or what you're not good at. Like, are you good at visual stuff? If you're not, then, Spend some time understanding visual hierarchies. Spend some time understanding color theory and like how to use colors appropriately. Um, spend some time figuring out how to lay stuff out on a layout so that it makes sense to customers and that they can, you know, facilitate their scanning of information to get to the information that they want. Um, you know, spend some time on those kind of things. If you're not good at the research bit. Spend some time learning about, actually, there's a great book called Just Enough Research by Erica Hall, who's one of the heads of Mule Design. Um, Quick read done by uh, Book Apart, the list apart people. And um, it's it's a fantastic read and just like understanding how to do the right amount of research and how to write up a persona around the research that you're doing and and how to do some usability testing and other pieces. But like spending that time to do some sort of empathetic research of who your customers are and what their mental model is of the world and of the software that they're using. That is so important for the things that you're going to build. Like that's one of the things I never... I had a toolbox of of like here's how I think fields generally look and feel and how buttons generally can feel but I never had like full layout things that I just would use over and over and over again like everything that I had used concepts that I could put together to make sense based on how that person saw the world and how they saw the software that they worked with. I, I, I so that was one thing that I, I will say for FileMaker developers. There are a bunch out there that just like they have their template, they use their template, they take the they hear fields from their customers and they put those fields into a template and then they're done. Like I would never do that. Um, I tried to give something unique to all of my customers based around how they saw the world. So spend that time to understand that. So I think those are, that's working kind of from back to front, like probably should have started in the other direction, but like know your customers, figure out how to visually put things on a screen properly and then test your ideas properly uh, so that you can validate it. Okay. And then finally, in your uh, hands-on session, you suggested to people that they wander around the DevCon space and find 
<laughs> find a Claris at that point. Claris, but, but yeah, yeah, continue. Specifically, a PM, specifically Robert <laughs> Holsey, and <laughs> make some suggestions about how the design interface, the aesthetics interface, yeah, can be I, different. I, I wasn't. I don't think I was saying something that broadly. Uh, that said, I, there there are two <laughs> points I was trying to make to that. I knew this would come to bite me at some point. Uh, two points I was trying to make to that. One is, hey, you're at DevCon. You know what? One of the great things about being at DevCon is the PMs are here, so go talk to them. <laughs> They're ha- you know, as much as I say, if they if they didn't want to talk to you, then they wouldn't be out in public. <laughs> and they right. they do they do hide okay. sometimes. It's okay, Robert. I'm sorry if I'm Robert yeah. and Rick. I'm sorry if I'm giving away all your secrets. But like, if they didn't want to talk to people, they'd find a way to not talk to you. They they can do that. They have hotel rooms. Um, but when they're walking around, I think mostly they're okay with people and coming up and talking to them. So that's one. And I think the second one is. You know, I love the work that they do. You know, I've been friends with those guys for forever, you know, colleagues with them first and then friends later. Um, and they they have a tough job of trying to figure out all of the right things to add. I think in that one specific example, I was talking about like grids and why like the default grid is 72 points for your major with eight grid points, like minor. And so you get a weird grid that's like nine points by nine points. And you're like, whoever decided <laughs> that a grid is nine points by nine points, no grid ever in the world is nine points by nine points. It's either eight by eight so that you can have some easy divisible by two things or it's 10 by 10 like who does nine by nine and that was i think that was where i was starting to make some fun of them uh but but what would you say to them what would you want to be a little bit more easier for us file maker developers to apply good design there's there's a ton of there's a ton of different things and i i think they they are they are doing the best that they can with the uh you know tons and tons of things that they want to do most of the stuff that i have is nitpicky stuff it's like that grid thing like every time i have to go and i have to change the grid that's annoying um i'd like to have more custom grids or you know things that are more than just the square grid but you know what it's it's pretty good for what it is um i have you know opinion about how I wish portals behaved like list views. And, you know, some of those things are coming true. Some of them haven't yet, like sub summaries and other pieces. Like this is stuff I've, I text Robert every now and again, like, Hey, so when am I getting my sub summaries in portal? <laughs> and, he's like, and then I don't hear anything for a while. And that's, that's how I know the mark of a true friendship. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's always little things that I think could make the experience you know, I think one of the tough things we do have to deal with as FileMaker developers and designers is that FileMaker has its own visual language and that when you are trying to use patterns that are similar in other places, FileMaker sometimes does not allow you to use that pattern to the full fidelity of what that pattern is. And so you are, you're left okay. with something that in certain cases feels less than. It doesn't feel perfect. It feels like uncanny valley. Like you're trying to make it look like a list view and iPhone, but it's not exactly like a list view and iPhone. And those are the things that I always have nitpicky stuff about where it's like, it doesn't act exactly the same. And that's where you start to like really mess up users because they're like, I expect it to behave this way. And then it doesn't behave that way. And that's, that's where I've always kind of, most of the time when I, when I text them or send them a, send them a message, that's what I'm texting them about. It's like the behavior does not match how this same thing would behave if I was just opening any other app on an iPhone or 
you know, on my, on my laptop or whatever. So that's, that's the thing that like, I don't think there's anything specific there right now, but if you see something, you're like, I'm trying to make this pattern, but like, it doesn't allow me to do that perfectly. Like I, there were a lot of people that, you know, when we had certain things with like slide controls, I know a lot of people started building out like these hamburger menus with drawers, like sliding out from the side. And I was always like, I would just cringe at it. A, because I don't like the the hamburger (laughs) menu, which is documented by many people that I don't like the hamburger menu. But on top of that, like it would just would look janky. It just would not work right. It would look a little weird and it wouldn't work the way that people would really expect it to work. And that's not great. That's not great for your customers. So, yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad Claris is able to listen, wants to listen to us. And, you know, and there are plenty of avenues out there for um, listening to us. Definitely. Especially with, you know, the community and everything. So, yeah, there's more than enough places where you can make have someone listen to you if you do have some sort of feedback to give or get other people on, uh, you know, on board with your case if you need to. All right. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate your time. It's it's really good to talk to you. We we went uh, way long here, but it's a it was a good conversation, and I think we think we got through everything I I wanted to talk about. So um, appreciate your time, and uh, you're welcome to come back on anytime. I know you're not you do some FileMaker work on the side, right? But that's not your ish. Yeah, not not too much these days. Uh, Every now and again, uh, I'll build myself a thing because, you know, once, once, once a FileMaker developer, you can't get rid of it that easily. Uh, So, uh, but yeah, Uh, likewise, happy to, happy to talk with you. And yeah, hopefully the, the hour and a half was useful to the people that stuck it out for the full thing, unless you cut half of this out. I don't know. You might, if it's only 45 minutes, it means he cut out a lot of what I said and probably for good reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, no. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate your time. Yeah, and have a good I'll one, talk Jerry. to you later. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Context Podcast. I want to thank Matt Odell for joining me today. Contrary to what people on Twitter say, I think we are designers, and Matt gives us good ideas to ponder about our design process in our platform. If you're so inclined, we would really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Your thoughts let us know how things are going. Also, feel free to reach out at support at geistinteractive.com for questions or comments or show ideas. And remember, context podcast is king.